0: Hello, beautiful people, beautiful people of the Tampa Bay and beyond area. This is Fire and Ice podcast with WNNF family, informing the public on two important issues that directly impact people and others, more specifically black people. Today, we're going to have our two subjects. Our two subjects will be um, code enforcement and Reparations for Black Americans, uh, lineage-based. Lineage so we're going to talk about this in the form of it's already out there with the reparations. Reparations is a becoming mainstream. I went online and I just typed in Black reparations, lineage-based, and I found 20 or more sites that talks about this. The reason why code enforcement inter, intersects with uh, black people reparations is that it's about property, right? It's about how we um, create wealth or how we keep wealth or how we develop wealth. So we have to know all the, the rules and um, how people are moving uh, towards uh, keeping code enforcement at bay And we also have to understand what eminent domain means. Um, I think in Hillsborough County, we have seen a lot on eminent domain. That um, word keeps coming up. And so today, we're going to find out a lot about this subject, um, both subjects, that is. And I think um, most people might know him. I know I've known him for a long time, and I think he's a brilliant person. So we're going to get an opportunity to hear his um, perspective on both topics, code enforcement and black reparations, lineage-based. So please, I'm going to ask... Menteznot to introduce himself, give us a little history, and um tell us why he's here today and what and why he thinks it's important that he share his information with us. Please go ahead.
1: All right, this is Menteznaut. Some people know me as Tony Daniel, and some people know me as Crunk man just like various names. I'm here today to talk about, as the host said, code enforcement and reparations. Those are two very, very important subject matters for African people. And the reason it being important for African people is that for 623 years, we've been involved in a process where we have been dispossessed and underdeveloped. That's something key that we have to know that from our civilization's or our societies, our structured societies, all the way back from the 1400s to right now today, those societies and civilizations have been interrupted in a certain way that it's, we just haven't been able to rebound from it in any way whatsoever. So if you just think in terms of, irrespective of what they say to you, because sometimes they say, when you try to explain African life, they try to they try to give it back to you by saying, Oh, no, like you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do this. You can do that. You can go to school, all these other things that you can do. But the reality is there are 623 years ahead of us because for 623 years, and that's including right now today, all of their institutions have been just they've arrived at a conclusion where they have they're going to lock us out of everything. They're basically going to lock us out from education, from opportunity, from health care, from employment, whatsoever it may be. And once again, from housing, from land, from anything you can think of, like we have to struggle to just try to get the basics.
0: So I want to I want to just interject here and ask you to because, you know, America have sold this American dream and American dream is about property, land, owning a house to create generational wealth. I want to focus on the code enforcement, if I may, and how you can help us unpack that. You know, um, what has been, from your perspective, what have been some of the um, nuances in Black people acquiring wealth when when they intersect with code enforcement, with land ownership, and just in general please
1: well basically what you see is a lot of times people try to explain code enforcement as if it's a individual or personal issue but in reality it's not there is a history of african people being dispossessed of our properties and it goes way back way back into the 1600s and all through if it's you know, when they talk about Black Wall Street, when they just talk about different things, Rosewood, Florida, and many other cities that they can talk about that where you have white nationalist organizations like the Ku Klux Klan, the white government just go through and just run everybody out of the community. So that's part of the history of white people having a, setting a, a, a standard and dispossessing African people of our properties. Now, what they have done is they've elevated that game and moved it out from in the hands of radical white people and placed it right in the hands of cities, counties, states and the federal government. So anytime you see white people think that African people is acquiring property in a certain way or in a certain neighborhood, then they come with the code enforcement. They come with the harassment and it's real harassment. The harassment is real.
0: So 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 I I. I I just want to um, make sure that we understand this can happen to anybody. Yes, um, it can happen to anyone, and I want to make sure that we we need to understand how do we identify when we know that um, code enforcement is infringing on our rights to hold have own property or to hold on to property. What is it that? Um, stands out because, you know, you might see a note and you might toss and say, Oh, that don't pertain to me. So what should we pay attention to?
1: Well, for one, you must pay attention to that note. Mm-hmm. When you see that note, pay mm-hmm. close attention mm-hmm. to it. In many instances, what code enforcement is doing, if we want to bring it right down to that level, in many instances, when they're approaching places in urban areas, in the inner city, they're doing so illegally. In many instances, they come in on your property illegally. And in many instances, when they're giving you the note, if you want to call it a note or a notice, okay, or a violation, a code violation, in many instances, if you investigate it, if you look at it carefully, you would see that they're probably giving it to you illegally. And it's something that they're doing that's not right about it. But what they're familiar with, they're quite familiar with um, people just – desire will or ability to respond and, and knowing that in certain areas that they operate in they know, Hey, like they're not going to go down and get an attorney. They not There's certain things that we can't do because we can't afford it. So they know they got you right there. So at that point, they're bullying you like, Oh, like you've got a car parked here with no tag and all this other stuff. You've got something in your yard that need to be removed immediately and whatnot. And so, Let's make it clear that I understand 100 percent the city, county or state desire to have a certain standard, you know, and a standard of living within any community. And I understand sometimes complaints are coming from neighbors. But I think, you know, and this is very important, I think that cities, counties and states can have a better approach at some of the things that they're doing. Because in many instances, if you go and check the records, what you would see is they're giving violations to elderly individuals who can't do anything about it. And or individuals that's economically disadvantaged who can't do anything about it. So sometimes there's something that do need to be cleaned up, it's something that is an eyesore. Is something that needs to be addressed. But I think cities, counties, and states can have a program, an expanded program, because in some instances we see where they do the cleanup programs, the clean sweep and whatnot. I think they need to institute those programs and install those programs in just the everyday way of life.
0: So what I hear you saying to the public is that Um, their approach is, um, can be, um, harmful in terms of how they approach the situation. And if you are elderly and it requires more looking into, you might can't afford that. Or is it that, do you need an attorney to look into it? Or do you need an attorney to, um, stop them from infringing on your rights, um, where does that intersect start? Because a lot of people don't really know um, where to get involved with an attorney, even if they can't afford it.
1: Right. Well, I would say this, and I know you just said elderly, but also said elderly and economically disadvantaged. Right. You know, okay. so, mm-hmm. so the fact of the matter is in no situation in, in none, and this is from my experiences, mm-hmm. if you can't pick up the phone, which should be one step, pick up the phone, call them and say, Hey, what can be done to rectify this? Or do Mm -hmm. I need some more time to rectify it or whatnot? Mm -hmm. If that is escalated to another level, it's so difficult for you to fight against city hall because they have the professionals down there. They have the budget down there. They have the resources and they have the experts. Mm -hmm. So Unless you can go out and get an expert, which would be an attorney that deals in that. Mm-hmm. If the situation is that serious, then you basically operating at a loss. Mm-hmm. You know, so what I say in this city and what I've brought out before, I think not only do it need to be a moratorium and some of the things that they're doing. I think that they need to go back in and forgive some property owners they need to just wipe all the fines off the books, like forgive some property owners, especially the elderly and the economically disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. But but once again, we see from city to city, that's the tactic that they use to just kick off this gentrification.
0: That's, that's true. That's where I was going next. Um, because we see a migration occurring. We see now that, when it was the white flight going to the suburbs, now the white flight is coming in the urban communities. Right, right. And so, um, do you think that has any impact on why these um, commandeering or um, putting more intensified pressure on um, taking property? And 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 one experience just accidentally I um, came across. I was talking to a lady down. City down to the county building on 601. And she was up in arms, a black lady, because they had um, provided her mother with a note to say that they was coming for her property. right? And this was a third-generation property. And um, before she knew it, um, the, the young lady that was helping her mom, they had already offered her pennies on the dollar for the house. And the mother didn't take it. But just imagine if she had taken it or signed her name on that um, mortgage paperwork, she would become homeless instantaneously because they wanted to have this property so that they can make it, fix it up and make sure that they are um, providing it for the new group that's coming in. And so we see that a lot. We see that a lot. That takes on. So what do you think about that? Is that happening a lot? Do you hear that?
1: Well, I think that's one of the that's one of the factors that goes with code enforcement and gentrification goes hand in hand because they start putting that pressure down on you with the increases in the property taxes and also the increases in the fines and the code violations that you see that's happening. But I really would like to reiterate, and i like to say again, I think that cities can have a different approach in dealing with code enforcement, and which would be to have a department that can assist poor and working class people with maintaining their properties to a certain standards. So that's what I'll say about that.
0: Yeah, um, I, I do like that idea, the, the moratorium. Um, and I also like the idea about cleaning the books because we do know that if um, most black people, most elderly, most disadvantaged, are not um, able to pay all of those fines that associate with the code enforcement And because of the systemic racism, they tend to earn less and don't have that um, expendable cash to play these types of um, unfair games. So I would like to know if you know uh, how many people or is there a certain segment of people or a certain area where this is happening more often than not.
1: Well, most definitely in East Tampa and that you've raised that, I think those are the numbers that we really need. And that's something that I would uh, really want, brought that issue up at city council the other day. I've brought it up before. I'm a victim of it. I've never raised it from that perspective, but it's, you know, it becomes offensive because it's not just, it's not that they're just operating within code enforcement. It's like they're operating in, anything they see African people with, I'm saying if they see us with a nice bicycle or a nice car or whatsoever, it's some kind of black tax. They try to attach, you know, the African people for ownership. So it's like, if they're almost bent on the fact, Hey, like, no, y'all ain't going to own nothing, you know? So that's, that's what, you know, I, I have a thousand code enforcement stories to tell. And that's no exaggeration of the fact that one time, They were so outlandish with it. They were actually giving me building violations, construction violations on code enforcement violations on vacant property that I owned. So they just it's just that far out. I've got another situation where they were doing um, $15,000 a day on a non-existent violation. That's $15,000 per day. On a non-existent violation.
0: So, um, what this brings to mind is that is is the city? Let's say, for instance, um, um, hypothetically, would you say the city is um, in in a contest or in a situation that they're competing for property for um, rich developers or for um, uh, are they uh, putting land b- aside for land investors that's coming in to develop new new homes and housing? Is, is there a reason that they are so eager to uh, dispossess their, their citizens, their longtime citizens from their property? What do you think it is?
1: Well, it's a multiplicity of reasons. Mm-hmm. There's always an aggressive push to move, scatter, displace Africans, poor and working class people, because it always is attractive to at the property prices is always attractive to um, investors. Okay. Because they can get it at a bargain price. But now we have, let's move from there and let's talk about being in a capitalist society. Let's talk about being in a society that's where takes certain growth in the economy for that society to make sense. So let's talk about the conversation from another perspective. Most cities cannot afford to become stagnant. So in essence, the existing property owners like have to go and those properties have to get diversified in a certain way. And I'll show you a good example right here in Tampa right there in Tampa Park on Palm and Florida Avenue, no on Palm and Tampa street for years, there were a whole row of houses, just old houses down in that whole area, that whole area from Palm and Tampa street over to Palm and North Boulevard. So you can just, if you just think about it, probably between everyone being grandfathered in and whatsoever the case may be senior citizens and all that probably in each property over there, they are probably collecting anywhere, let's say from $200 to say a thousand dollars in property taxes. But now specifically on the corner of Palm and Tampa, 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 Tampa street, there's a building there that replaced the two houses, and I'm sure that building is probably where the two houses that were there it was two old dilapidated houses, probably was doing, you know, 150, dollars $200,000, $500,000, in property taxes. But I'm sure those two buildings that's there now is doing probably anywhere from, you know, I'm being conservative with it, say 300 dollars to $500,000 you know, in property taxes with the same uh, using the same set of property. So it's very important to know and not be naive about it as a business person, as an elected representative of a city, as a mayor, as a city council representative, as an urban planner, people have to look at their cities and say, Hey, what can we, how can we diversify these properties? And how can we evolve them and advance them to the point where it have a reasonable tax base and where it makes sense?
0: So, um, okay, that's well said. And I think we all understand business um, versus capitalist society. But I also like to bring into space that a lot of the cities. Offer these big land investors and businesses zero taxes. And so when we talk about that, we have to say, okay, if they're paying zero taxes as that their package bonus to move to Florida or move to Hillsborough County, they also land that expense on their citizens and sometimes their poorest citizens. And when we talk about how how do we um, look at our CRAs, we have to talk about that too if we're talking mm-hmm. about this capitalistic society. So um, what, do, what are their roles in terms of making sure that the, the, they diversify on one end and the other end, how do we continue the residential areas of um, development and, 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 and be able to generate income in their um, uh, capacity?
1: Well, they have no interest, like most cities have no interest in a certain segment of the population. Mm -hmm. And um, if you understand capitalism, Mm -hmm. that one of the things you would understand is, is that the workers have to pay to work. (laughs) You know, it might sound kind of crazy, but the workers in a capitalist Mm -hmm. society, the workers have to pay to work. Mm -hmm. So if you have something you can offer a city, that if you're Bill Gates or the next person or the next person and you have something you can offer a city, trust me, that city have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So understand the zero tax Mm -hmm. and all the other incentives and what they give. And you see it especially happen with the sports teams Mm -hmm. where they pimp out that whole situation. But with that zero tax, what they're trying to do is they're trying to diversify the population itself To attract a certain kind of income population, and then those individuals, through their spending and their um, just generating money in the economy, then they're hoping that that's what would grow your city, but no city have an interest in poor and working class people, none whatsoever. Now
0: that and that's true. You saw that with the Amazon. You saw how they move through New York, how they are in Seattle, um, wherever they go. Even with Walmart, wherever they go, they create another level of poverty, and 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 they create the few billionaires and so on and so forth. So we see that we. I think even a child see capitalism. I mean, capitalism is the easiest thing to see in society. But and and our society continue to shift. And, and people tend to go up, few go up and a lot fall out. So I'm going to kind of, um, segue into, let's get into reparations. Let's talk about, um, all of that, that, um, that is not, uh, has, that has not been paid or has not been even noticed to pay and can it, and can it, um, come in our lifetime and how soon can it come? And let's talk about the black American reparations that it seems like they forgotten about it. Cause all the other reparations been paid and, and started out to pay even reparations to people that are not citizens. And so let's go ahead and talk about that, please.
1: Well, I know like when you say reparations mm-hmm. and then you also tied in the same sentence with the black American mm-hmm. Um, I don't look at reparations like that. Mm -hmm. What I look at reparations is that, you know, ultimately I would talk about it to a certain degree that to bring people into the conversations. But, you know, let me say this and starting off talking about reparations, Mm -hmm. every single African man, woman and child on the planet earth is owed $3 million from governments and private businesses. That's every single man, woman, and child, irrespective of where we might be on earth.
0: And that number increases as the day go by because they haven't started paying yet.
1: 100% exactly. Uh, That's affirmative, okay? And that's what, if you notice from way back, I've had shirts where it say, 600 trillion. Like right now, my shirt says 623 trillion because it's based on 1400. That's what it's based on. It's based on their doctrines of discovery, their empire, empire competition, empire expansion, colonialism, capitalism, imperialism, all these things that have affected us adversely and we have gotten nothing for. And then that's one thing I want to adamantly say to anyone because you said in our lifetime. You know, we have a duty and responsibility. You know, I've been involved in the reparations movement for decades, decades and decades. And um, say, going all the way back to Queen Mother Moore. But one thing I would say is that we as the adults and the conscientious adults in our society, we have a duty and responsibility to lay that groundwork, lay that platform, lay that foundation. And if we say it's already been laid, we have a duty and responsibility to keep building on it. And we cannot let anyone think, no matter what, because people try to discourage you. You know, when I talk about reparations, people say just all oh, the weirdest things ever. It has nothing to do with nothing. But the reality is, if you would think that on my honor, that I would allow My parents, grandparents, -grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, everything that what you did to starting back from Africa and think that, okay, like y'all supposed to build this wealth and we supposed to just walk away and say, okay, yeah, well, we're going to start over today. That's not going to happen. We're going to get paid.
0: Right. So um, I like the way you described it. Um, I support the way you described it. Um, And. For me, I look at reparations as it's long overdue. Um, I look at reparations as cash plus, 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 there plus. you know. You know, I, I, I think that um, no matter who you are, there's a reason uh, for black people being in this state, and it is... Um, from the beginning of 1,400 going forward. 1,400. Going forward. So, um, and we need attention and we need action to it. And you know what else I I, I agree with? I agree with the fact we got to take charge of that because the politicians that we, I mean, people put their investment in or their hopes in have long time kicked it down the road and it hasn't really meant much to them. And I like how you describe that. Um, yes, it is important to do it for our um, ancestors. Yes, it's important to do it for our future. and our future generations. Right, yes. and it's, it's important, and and we should not rest until it's done. It should happen in our lifetime because. It, it, it has happened in everybody else's lifetime and, and we deserve for what to happen now. So, um, I would like for you to walk through some of the things you see that, um, is a that should be coming our way. And, and here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. I, I mean that, you know, I like the $3 million amount, um, I mean, reparations is everywhere in every state. And, and the only state that's not talking about it, even in the Caribbean, even in Africa, you know, um, it, over over the last year, I think England have returned and and France have returned things that they stole from Africa. So reparations is happening. What do you think reparations um I think we're talking about a timeline. How do we speed up the timeline? How do we speed up the timeline and what do we need to do to speed it up?
1: Well, I would say this from um, at my age, <laughs> at my age. And then mm-hmm. when the wisdom comes with it, mm-hmm. then what we have to know is <laughs> we, we have to know that the most important thing is that we have to do our part. And just like you can't, if you go all the way back to Martin Delaney, if you go back to Martin Luther King, to Marcus Garvey, to Elijah Muhammad, whosoever it may be, like they did their part. You know, if you go back to the Black Panther Party, if you go back to Fannie Lou Hamer, you know, whosoever it may be, they did their part. And at least they got us to this point. What we have to do is, you know, we have to do our part and it's very important. You know, it's something that I'm going to throw this in the conversation. It's so important because even with my younger kids, you know, with my 8, 9, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, I talk to them in a certain way for them to understand the significance of, you know, I'm working on a book right now, and it's my son that gave, the, my 8-year-old son gave the book the title, and I was very proud of him for giving it that title, and you know just to see which i brought a copy of it to show you but to see that he say bye-bye you should call the book i am my ancestors and future generations representative
0: stop stop right there i i um repeat that title
1: i am my ancestors and future generations representative
0: that's how we need to live you see um we Keep forgetting we stand on giant shoulders. Most definitely. You know, we keep forgetting that. And that's a powerful statement. And that eight-year-old, we need to start prepping him for presidency, you know. And because no other culture, and this is for the culture, right? This is the culture. There's no other culture forgets their ancestors. I mean, you see, I mean, we in America. We see them erect some of the most heinous people. And Don't they, you know yes, it? Yes. <laughs> and and what do they say? It's for the culture. Right. And so we, we have to be mindful that we have to stand on our culture and we have to do it for our ancestors because like you said, they done their job. Right. Now they're saying to us, the, the um, baton has been passed. Right. Do your part because the future is waiting for you. And the future is for children. Children that has not been born and we need to get up and get this done for
1: them and it's an irony you said Prepping them for presidency because that's the biggest joke I have with them. I'm like, hey, when you become president, you're gonna invite me in the. <laughs> He's like, I'm like, are you gonna change the name of the place? <laughs> He's like, Baba, let me get president first. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. right, so, and, and and
0: because we know they're out there, right? Most definitely, we know we know our geniuses have uh, are out there. The young, the young generation, the ones who have all the answers to medicine. Um, sickness technology uh, technology (laughs) they're out there right and so because they're being overlooked by a system of violence and i mean mental and physical they can't even get their world going forward because they're overlooking the geniuses that was put here to solve these problems
1: right and then let me as you said that um not to stray from the conversation One of the things, because once again, I want to say in my age category, it's just certain things you have to say that you have to get it out. You know, one of the things I say to all young people and all African people now, we have to be more conscientious about our health. We have to stop, you know, we have to stop the the smoking, the drinking, the tobacco, the marijuana products, the other things that's going with it, the drugs. Like we have to get a hold of that. We have to get a better diet. You know, we as African people have to get a better diet and it all mixes in because at the rate they have us going, you know, like between infant mortality rate and the death rate, the early expectancy and the death rate. It's like if it's a burnout before you can even, you know, get there.
0: Well, yes, Um we don't have a future unless we take care of our health.
1: Right. And that's something that, you know, and, I...
0: And that includes making sure our black women, when they give birth, they live after that. So right. So they can nurture their babies. Because there is something going on in the hospitals that's killing our women and our babies. Right, You know? So... um, there is no future without good health, and 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 probably the first thing we need to realize is stop eating this food that is or uh, inorganically right, grown, right, right. you know, and mm. um and stop eating so much. Period, because we we don't need to eat a lot of food to live. Right, and we need to um get off of all those ad- ad- adjectives. Additives. Yeah, and we need to get uh, away from medications. And, you know, we just need to, we need to really consider who we are. And we, we are, we are from mother earth. And that tells right. us that our body is our healer.
1: And and that's something that, you know, I like to say as much as I.
0: Which is reparations again. <laughs> most absolutely. We're definitely. still talking about reparations. Yeah, we're talking about reparations. Right.
1: You know, so one of the things that I like to say, um, because you alluded to it, you say, well, reparations mean cash. It mean other things and other things and other things. And it really do. And when we talk about reparations and talk about paying it, we're not talking about in a slick way where they're devaluing the money. So if they give you three million dollars, then the three million dollars is worth a hundred bucks. Like, no, we're not talking about in the system like that. We're talking about in the system where it's gauged and where it's honorable and where it's honorably done. You know, for six hundred and twenty three years, we've been a victim. You know, we've been a victim of white Western civilization.
0: I I I agree, um, 3 million plus, and I also think it's no way um, it's enough. Um, But one of the things that I hear that I really disagree with, I disagree with people come out and talk about education scholarships. The the worst, um, (laughs) for black people, you know, I, I know this school system. I know New York school system. I, I know Europe school system been involved in that, and I've noticed this particular American school system. If you want um, defibration, if you want be put into a a can, a little space of no education, well Hillsborough County got it for you. And and what they do, what is really shocking about this whole school system is that you have leadership leadership that look like you and I, um, telling the public that, oh, we're doing this, this, and this for these kids. And yet you don't have no white kids there. You're doing that for you. Only doing that for those black kids. And You just said over 51, as high as 60% can't read. So if they can't read, the bare necessity of education, you have failed them if they can't read. So how is it that you're preparing them for life? How is it that you're giving them the skills they need? But because a black person at the top level telling you, yeah, we're doing it, we're supposed to believe it, meanwhile... Um, our kids are constantly dropping out of school. They're constantly being incarcerated. Um, if sometimes, if you look at some of our kids, they have had uh, more education of the Jack Center than actually the classroom. Right. You know. So, you know. So they are telling you get these these and something else too. I I, I like to say about because education is a key for me. I, what I like to say about education is that. What about this? When you have your top official where the average salary in, in Hillsborough County is probably between 45 and 60,000, but your, your top officials make 160, almost $200,000 dollars, to tell the public that they are not educating black kids, that they are educating black kids. So you got a nonprofit institution with a lot of top officials are involved in propaganda. So what are the public going to do about that? And this is a public issue that is it has the propensity to devastate the black generations to come.
1: Right. So, so you know, let me say this. I think that that's built into the system. And the older, you know, just don't want to throw age out there, okay? Mm -hmm. But I want to say the older you get, then that's the more you understand that. Because even in my lifetime from going from where I used to be and my beliefs and where I am now Mm -hmm. as an older person and Mm -hmm. uh, understanding it better, Mm -hmm. then a lot of those individuals like, you begin to understand, hey, like the system put them there to do just that. Do just that. So sis, I want to like, you know, not to fall back, but I want to, I've spoken to you in the fact that this book that I'm writing Mm -hmm. and I say, this book like covers everything. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the, yes. So, and one of the things that I, you know, would say in that what you're just, what you just said, that's partially covered you know, in the book in a certain way, mm-hmm. but to jump back on the, you know, just let me say this, give me like 20 seconds to okay, say this please do. Mm-hmm. on, on the, on the housing issue mm-hmm. and what's going on between the gentrification, mm-hmm. the taxes and the code enforcement. This is part of the book that I'm writing to say, no one has mustered the courage to call the white people and white governments, common criminals for bulldozing or destroying thousands of African-American homes and hundreds of, of African-American communities under the auspices of eradicating crack houses, but in reality was really violently still in thousands of black families' homes as the white investors were gearing up for a renewed wave of gentrification. Imagine or envisage the picture in your brain of the city's white mayor surrounded by a few city employees and a selected group of African-American community leaders gathered in unity in the heart of an African community, Decl- African American declining community that is experiencing extreme poverty and homelessness. Now imagine the smart white mayor and the congregation of Negro buffoons holding hands and saying a prayer or offering a few words of encouragement before the hourly-paid or private contractor heavy equipment operator embark upon Negro community destruction. No Ku Klux Klan or credited language needed, and. Instead of black outrage and opposition, the entire offensive eradication program has black cooperation and black participation.
0: Exactly. And that, that is another, um, situation. When I, I just recently came back from Savannah and same problem all over America. Right. I might add, and here's the other part. They award the contracts to black contractors. Right. Yes.
1: So, um, Well, you know, I want to say something. Let me jump in there. No, it's not. I'll write about this in the book also. But in many instances, probably 90 to 95% of that affirmative action, black contractor, black owner money is actually going to White, White businesses, business. right? And uh, uh, then they yes. front, you know, yeah. like hey, like you uh, exactly. know, so exactly. So that's what they do, and they use exactly. black contractors. Yes, but if you look above them, there's somebody that's getting the actually getting but the contracts.
0: The, but see, I think as black people, we have to learn to look deeper than the surface, right? And right. we have to learn that um, even though there's a black contractor they put that person in place so that you can't say it's racism. Right. And that's the the superficial line that we got to look past and look deeper. One of the major problems about reparations is that people are standing firm that you're not going to give us um, some scholarship because— the scholarship to buy a house first, you can't, it's not enough in the scholarship, right? but you can't give us money to go give it to the white businesses. That's going to hold the contract over our um, heads, such as a mortgage. So they still haven't figured out, or they refuse to pay the bill without strings attached or loopholes or, or scams. Um, And so it speaks to, the human side of their credibility in order to say, if you owe something, you pay it, you know, because you expect us to pay if we owe you.
1: Well, that's, that's what I talk about is that. in for the last 623 years that they have actually came to a conclusion that they actually own us and they continue to operate like that. So in everything that we do or try to do, they put a black tax on it. Everything we do or try to do, they devise a plan where it comes back to them. <laughs> you know, you so. know
0: um, there was a research, a longitudinal study. I forget the, um, the black economic person. He said if today, if they release all the, rep- um, the uh, systemic racism, uh, America would earn additional $30 trillion a year. Right, because of their uh, their uh, legacy of oppressing black people from buying or achieving, they also suppress the economy from being very productive. So, you know, and, when, and the reason why he was talking about he was talking about the GI Bill b- way back right, when, yes.
1: where they, they at first they didn't. Africans couldn't get it.
0: Ex- well, the, exactly, and right. so it, it was. It was set there. That's when the red lining started right, coming yes. into place. And he said, if you just start there alone, America have lost thirty trillion dollars annually because they keep pushing a certain segment, which is black people, out of the market and keep. Uh, because they're doing that, they're losing tremendous amount of money. Because there's a cost to racism, there's a cost to systemic racism. So there's also a study, um, studies out there that s- show them how you can't compete with the rest of the world because you have oppressed a, a a certain percentage of your people.
1: Well, let me let me um, just speak on that a little, mm-hmm. um, which I can make the comparison again when we say about what's going on in urban areas and the gentrification Mm -hmm. to them or the people that's trying to get it it's no cost to them they're increasing their they're increasing their net worth and so the fact of the matter is whatsoever cost they see it as being minuscule in the sense that if, you know, let's use the cost of the prison industrial complex. They are willing to pay that price if it's $20,000, $30,000, dollars $50,000 a year to keep one African incarcerated. They're willing to pay that cost because on the other end, it balanced their society in a way that they see it, the way they can grow it and the way that they don't have to share the resources. They, they really don't need any competition for the resources. And so they don't need in a situation where we're educated, where we're industrious, where we're wise. They just need us in a situation where they can collect black taxes off of us and have us as a certain kind of wage slave that where it always looked like we're indebted to them and we're always – in their good or bad graces that they can do anything they want to do with us.
0: And also to track us, right? Because one of the things when you look at the Black Codes, the Black Codes said, you know, we, we, we can't let them grow their own food. We, we we can't let them two or more congregate, and we can't teach them to read. So when we look at that, that has only grown to be more of a... a, a Uh, emphasis on how they treat us as human beings and and they one of the amazing things that they have managed to do is when we had all the skill we built America we built other societies we had all the skills they have used their education system to strip us of generational skills so now, you you know, now we see other people building things because two, three generations, um, you remove them from that ability to be able to fish and feed themselves. So now when you throw that, that tainted fish over there, you know, um, you see black people fight over the tainted fish because that's the only thing in the community. So they got to always fight amongst themselves because there is limited resources and not even good resources. And that's just an analogy of how um, when we built monuments, now we can't find 10 people to be contractors. And, and so um, we are now at, at, at their disposal of, Hey, they don't have any skills. We don't need them in the workforce. you Mostly. know.
1: Sis, and i talk about all those things in my book. Okay. And then the other thing that, you know, I want to say to you is because I say to anyone on this book, Mm -hmm. and I know we're going to stick to reparations Mm -hmm. and the code enforcement situation, Mm -hmm. but uh, I think that this book is so all-encompassing. And as you say in tracking us, one of the things I say in the book is, why do you think that the police department's nationwide conducts over 100,000 daily or approximately 1 million proactive engagements with African-Americans on a weekly basis. That is approximately 52 million physical engagements white law enforcement have with African-Americans on an annual basis or equivalent to at least one stop or physical contact with every African man, woman, and child on American soil. So, and then I go on to talk about, that's the physical engagement. I go on to talk about the artificial intelligence engagement Mm -hmm. where they're tracking you millions of times a day. You know, I'm talking about one person through the computer because, you know, the computer can carry on billions and trillions Mm -hmm. of functions. Mm -hmm. So um, all those things are very important. But one of the things that I really want to get back to and want to really say, if it's about the reparations, if it's about the education, Mm -hmm. if it's about the code enforcement, Mm -hmm. I have to say, because a lot of times people don't say we as African people have to take on a certain kind of duty and responsibility to step our game up, to start saying positive things to our kids and our people as we see it. We have to, you know, we have to get our health right. We have to stop the glorification of the marijuana, of the drugs, of the alcohol, of the fashion to a certain degree. And we we have to know how to draw that line between what's culture mm-hmm. and what would be you would say the Stockholm syndrome Mm -hmm. that where we're fascinated with being abused and think it's cool. Like we can't keep calling our women derogatory names. We can't keep calling ourselves the N word. We can't keep using that N word in reference to ourselves. It's just so many things that we have to just like really do that introspective and grow, you know, really start growing. Like, you know, so, you know, I'll say anytime I see people, or have contact with individuals now it's anything that I try to tell them that's positive. Right. You know, that's just like, Hey, like for the positive nature of it to just leave something, you know, in that person's brain and their mind, like, Hey, look like, um, and that's, you know, irrespective of what they do. doing, like not tell young brothers and sisters, like, you know, I'm like, Hey man, y'all know that marijuana and that liquor, you know, that gives you like cancer. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. Like, you know, it's hey, man, you see all these dialysis machines. and and labs around the African community. I
0: I want to say that, um, how do we get here, right? Where we, um, it seems like we're our own worst enemy, whether it's from how we eat our food, how we drink, how we participate in this economy, You know, reparations is definitely something we need now and for the future, but we have to make sure reparations continue to build once it comes to Most definitely. Yes, and and, um, I have to say that um, home ownership is important, but we have to save the mind, body, and spirit first before we can understand the valuable external things that we need to go into the future. And so I will ask, what do you think um, is needed for the black man, the black woman, the black family um, need to do to go back to the center and, and, and reset ourselves and get on the right page and, and come together. Because one of the things I like about reparations is that reparations, uh, the black nation all agree on the re- reparations, whether we here in America, in the Caribbean, in Africa, around the different world, Brazil. New Zealand. Right, you know. Australia. Australia. That's one thing. So that energy, how do we culminate more of that energy to 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 help us, you know, become who we were intended to be, the greatest of all? So how do we get there?
1: Well, you know, let me say this, and I want to be clear on this because I heard you say something about being our own enemy, Mm -hmm. and I I never agree with that in no way whatsoever. That's fine. That's good. There's there's been a 623-year systematic Mm -hmm. program Mm -hmm. to keep African people like 100% oppressed. I I agree with that. And it's, in many instances, like if you stop and think what happens to African people and how we live, and what we've experienced, it's just like amazing that we're here walking around the earth. With you know, that. it's amazing. I agree it's with it's that. amazing. Yes. Like so I think that, you know, I would say this. I would say first and foremost, it's a big battle. We're fighting a six hundred and twenty-three year battle. So it's not don't think it's like, okay, well, because I know something now, then everybody else should, you know, know better or they should they can see it too. That's something I always talk to my Um, close friends, associates, and family members about, hey, man, don't use yourself, you know, as a gauge. Don't personalize it. Because um, when you try to say where you are to try to say you're ahead of the next African, then it's some people that I know went to school with us. That's like, you know, white people. That's like way ahead of us. Like we never see anymore because they're so far ahead of us. And they have that generational wealth, They have the white skin privileges. They have additional opportunities when they make mistakes. And they probably never seen that prison for no protracted period of time. So what I to answer your question, it's it's no one simplistic answer. And it's definitely not an answer on incriminating ourselves because we've had six hundred and twenty three years. And one thing, you know, I really want to say and I really want people to get this no matter how they think it's a serious movement to eliminate us off the planet earth. It's like a serious genocide movement that's out there. That's one of the things that I write in the book, but I have to say the wisdom of African people using their timeline and their history. If they say 20 of us was brought here in 1619 or 1620, and now we're probably 50 million strong. And if they say when they got here it was like a hundred million, hundred and some million um, indigenous population of the Indians, and now they're only nine million strong, it tells you something about the African. And to not jump topics because this is something else. I write in my book. They're hard in this abortion thing right now because they know our numbers, even with whatsoever they're doing, our numbers are still growing. And they, for a while, had no interest in their numbers growing. So I'm making a prediction that within the next two or three years, you would see it would be legislation out there to give white women and white men $100,000 in cash and benefits for one child. Let
0: let me... (laughs) um... Let me just comment on that. That's not far-fetched because you can go to Germany. They already doing that.
1: Okay, see? The,
0: you can I didn't Yeah. Know. <laughs> they already they've been doing that for the last 30 years because okay. of the cause of the World War war over there killed most of their men. So, um, the Turkish <laughs> people came over and they said, "Hey, you know, we are going to pay you to have children." And so, um uh, we're going to pay you to be German citizens. We're going right. to give you we're gonna give you money for your family. Your your the mother gets to stay home, and we're gonna just um, help gener- grow our numbers. You're gonna right. help us grow our numbers. So that's being that's happening around the world. But one of the things, um, I think exponentially, we're so far ahead of their numbers now because you know it 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 it's obvious. I I I believe that. You know, the story has not been told yet, but that census thing is not really exactly telling the truth um, about the numbers. But what is prevalent is the resources and the violence that they have. They, they own the violence and they own the resources. And so that's what um, we see from them. We, if anything, the violence is unbelievable. You know,
1: most definitely. Yes. And that's once again, you know, I don't want to. Um, uh, uh, you know, I want to say this, you know, I'll advise individuals if want to. Learn more about reparations, you know, if you want to learn more about the black family, if you want to learn more about our duty and responsibility, how we should conduct our lives, I say to um, when this book come out to make sure and get this book. I'm not here promoting the book, but I just, it's just interesting in all the things that you've said, even like the personal things when you say, Hey, like sound like King status. That's part of what, you know, like, Hey, I'm right there. I'm right there with you, you know? And I always say that for some reason, it always looks like if the African brains are connected in a certain way, it's because you're saying these things and I'm like, Hey, look like, um, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about those things too. But I've just like took the time to put it down in paper and to say, hey, then I'm gonna get out there and promote it that way. But it's incumbent upon us to teach our kids about reparations, to let our family members and our community and anybody who can hear us let them know reparations ain't got nothing to do with welfare. <laughs> reparations ain't got nothing to do with y'all can get food stamps or y'all got this or what not whatsoever. No reparations have to deal with reparations and we have to keep that reparations conversation honorable. We can't let it devolve into those areas of.
0: Right. So, so um, reparations mean to restore.
1: Exactly. And
0: so um, it is yours and you need to get on the bandwagon and let's go get our reparations. Let's go and get our reparations. The, Yeah, That's what we need to do. So what I want to um, ask you as to how can we reach you? How can the public reach you if they want to share some information or just, just continue this conversation. Although I know you'll be back, but I want you to, um, if they have an email, if you have an email that you want to, um, hear from people or, um, talk about this, this, um, interview here.
1: Well, I'll say right now, You know, for the last year or so, I've been in the cut. I've been writing a book. I think the only time I come out is, like, to go to city council meetings on Thursday. And other than that, I've been seriously in the cut Mm -hmm. writing this book. I really want to finish it. And um, I want to say you can look at, you can Google Temple Reparations, and that's one of the things, one of the places you would see what, you know, I had to say about that, what we're owed. But in the future... You know, right now I have no way of getting in contact with me, and because that's the way I want it right now. Okay. Because I want to work on the book. Okay. And I was honored when you called me, and just based on the history, I say yeah, like you know I'm gonna come out and do it, you know whatsoever. So I was very honored for that. I was honored for the opportunity to do it. But in the future, uh, the the book's gonna be out. We're gonna be talking about reparations more. I got the reparations T-shirts coming. And um, I just like what you just say. We want our reparations and I've got to pay it. But um, but in the future, it will be ways that where we can um, have a communication uh, line open that whereas we can engage in conversations concerning reparations and other things. But for right now. It's no way to contact me.
0: Okay, so mm-hmm. please give your name then, so we'll get this in our heads.
1: All right. The, my, my, my um, you know, some people say my slave name is Anthony Daniel. They call me Tony Daniel. My African name is Mentisnot. That means anything's possible. It's Amarek, An Ethiopian brother gave me that name. Shamsu, brother I used to work with, that gave me that name. And um, he said it was based on how he watched me maneuver that he say, man, like anything you try, like you can always do it. He said, I'm going to give you the name and tis not it means anything possible. And so I love the name and I've adapted it in a certain way. And then my entertainment name is Crunk Man. So a lot of people know me by Crunk Man because they know me for doing events and like for decades. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it yeah. also I did um, alcohol, tobacco and drug free events that to just have something safe mm-hmm. for our community to do for our kids, for the younger people. Did car shows, block parties, did other things that was just to just like bring a certain kind of culture, you know, to the table that people can see that we can congregate and just, you know, really have a good time. And that's all it's about. It's just having a good time. It's not about arguing, fussing, fighting, shooting, none of that stuff. It's just, hey, come together and have a good cultural time and have some good cultural fun. So that's what I did like for a number of years. People know me for doing music, still do that. But um, in the future, it will be a way to get in contact with me.
0: Yeah, so um, I'd like to say thank you. I'm honored. Um, I have always admired your participation in the community. And we, we're connected through um, a very important people in our lives over the years. And I will have to say, mentis um, not... not is a great person. Um, Every time I've met him, and he's kind of like, he's like the distant cousin or uncle or something like that, you know? He's always been very nice. Um, When he meets you, you feel like family, you know? So... I'm honored to have him here. Haven't seen him in many years, but I'm I'm very thankful to sit and ch- and chat with him today. And I hope when this uh, podcast, Fire and Ice podcast, is released, I hope a lot of people listen to it because it is about the consciousness. It is about the future. It is about what we are actually owed, not given owed. And when, you, when, when we say, oh, that means somebody did some work and didn't get paid, and that we can start out with slavery and all the other ugly, ugly things that have occurred over 600-plus years. So don't be ashamed to stand up and say, I want my reparations, because it is old to you. And thank you. Um, this is Fire and Ice Podcast, and my name is Saba Baptiste, and I look forward to... Uh, hearing from you and being online next week so goodbye many times i've been told that i should go but they don't know what we got baby they may not see the love in you but love i do and i'll stay right here mm. sweet sweet